severely messed Artists like their boots are torn to shreds The government will spoil your hopes and dreams By offering a useless retreat and scheme There's such amazing talent, why can't you see That the government has decimated the industry And now the years of hard work have been thrown away Just get a real job Hello and welcome to another episode of Just Get A Real Job, the podcast where we speak to emerging creatives and creatives alike from across the creative industries. I'm of course your host, Jamie McKinley, and we have another brilliant episode in store for you today. I'm really, really excited about this one, actually. We uh, recorded this one, I think, start of March, so just about a month ago, and I, I've just been really, really looking forward to putting this one out. But speaking to us on the podcast this week is the brilliantly talented Matt Hickman of Brown Bear. I've been a fan of Brown Bear's music for about a year now, since I think the first song I heard by them was a song called Retro, which is a brilliant song. I went, since then, I went back and listened to a lot of their music. Matt's an amazingly talented songwriter. He's just a great guy as well. Like, the way he speaks about the local music industry, his sort of hard work ethos and stuff as well, it's just, he's a great guy. And it was a really, really interesting conversation, which I'm sure you'll very, very much enjoy. And it was honestly just a, a real joy getting to have someone like him on this podcast. There was so much more I would have loved to have asked him about and spoke to him about. We didn't even get a chance to talk about his sort of recent steps into filmmaking and writing and stuff like that but you know I'll just have gives me an excuse to to ask him back on the podcast again in the future I just also want to say before I get into this week's episode as well massive shout out to everyone who's been listening to last week's episode we had some really nice feedback on it it was amazing to sort of do an episode that sort of talked about mental health so much and Pav and Molly were just amazing guests so if you haven't listened to last week's episode please go back check that one out as well as our other episodes we had, this is episode 74 which is quite frankly wild I cannot believe how many episodes of this we've done in the last sort of 15 months but there's some brilliant conversations we had some really really talented people on and just as Matt's obviously part of the Scottish music scene and Brown Bear a big part of that I've just wanted to plug a couple of episodes in particular that people might enjoy if they'd just come across this podcast recently about two months ago we had Zach from a brilliant band called Dictator on and that's a really good episode and we'd also had Fiona Lydell from Geffergeist on last year so if you're into the sort of local music scene in particular they're two really good episodes to to go and check out from our back catalogue but thank you as always for the continued support I'm really, really excited for you to hear this week's episode so I'll stop rambling on and here is Matt Hickman aka Brown Bear on episode 74 of Just Get A Real Job enjoy Hi Matt, how you doing? Thanks for coming on Just Get A Real Job on a Monday evening, it's very much appreciated. Yeah, thank you so much Jamie, and it's because I don't have a real job that I'm able to do that on a Monday evening. <laughs> I don't, well, you know, what is a real job anyway? What a lot, you know, that's the sort of whole point of this podcast is to, yeah, well, to mock that. But, yeah, um, well, hopefully we discover the nuances of that. <laughs> I'm sure we will. But Matt, obviously, well you are Brown Bear and, and you're in the band Brown Bear, kind of both things I guess, which is uh, it's really good to have you on, obviously. Yeah. So, got plenty of stuff to sort of ask you about but to sort of kick off the podcast I'm going to get you to sort of cast your mind back to sort of when you were younger and like what your sort of earliest creative memories were so like do you remember when you first started like thinking I'm going to be a musician I'm going to write songs etc you know what I think like the first every time there was in a family event or Christmas whatever my sister made us put on a play I didn't have a choice she would write it all out and she would these are the parts and, and like my sister was the creative one and it's so funny now because my sister does like a really technical computer job for a really big company but she was such a creative young kid and she was in the dancing and all these things and I think I used to look at it going to the shows and was like I wish I wish I was involved with stuff like that but I don't have any interest in 
at the time acting or dancing. But I, I loved being creative and I got dragged into it and music became my world. Like I just was obsessed with music from a young age. Was like I needed to know who was involved in it. Even at a young age, I was obsessed with how songs were made and the lyrics. And to me, I find it so bizarre when you meet someone and they're, they're like, oh, I don't know what the lyrics are. It's like, but that's what a song is. So yeah, I think I think I, I was really typical as a young boy, like where I thought I had to be interested in football because I lived in the West Coast and everybody plays football and part of me just wanted to be creative and I loved creative things. I loved wrestling when I was growing up and all that kind of stuff. And and and, and my mum hated that I loved wrestling, so she told me it was fake at a young age. But all she did was make it oh. and like she made it ultimately more fascinating because then I became obsessed with how they made up the stories and I, I liked it more when I knew it was fake than I did when I knew it was real. So it backfired. Yeah, <laughs> because I've just had this fascination with stories from a young age. And part of that was like my sister and like people around me. And, and that was what I enjoyed doing at school. I enjoyed the writing, but I didn't love maths and all that. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know exactly when I thought I want to be a creative. I never, I, I think I just always found myself going back to things where I was being, I never thought about it. I was just doing that because I guess it's how my brain worked. Yeah, no, I think I think the thing is, on this, from doing this podcast for like a long time, I mean, I think you're like this over the 70 of guests we've had on. I think most people say that they're like, I didn't, con- no one consciously sort of as a child really thinks about it as a as a career, because I think partly, especially in working class places, like it's never really an option to do it as a career anyway. But I think also just like with that, it just sort of is something personal to you and it's just you, people just are creative yeah and I, I don't want to jump ahead too much but obviously like remember off here you were asking me about script writing and like one of the reasons that's only become a thing now is because I, I didn't even really know that it was that possible you could do music coming from where I came from but a, a couple of things happened that made it seem like maybe you could or whatever delusion like you just wanted to be just, I was just determined we had nothing that, in, that indicated that anyone from where we came from could be involved in film or tv or that was even a thing. And it's, and it's crazy when you meet people who go to schools and schools like Glasgow, like they have like music business and film studies. There's no such thing as that where I came from. No, like, it was like, yeah. We had be good at the standards things in school or get an apprenticeship. And I was like, well, I'm not into cars or like being an electrician or anything like that. I'm terrible. What I, like, yeah, I mean, that. And so so I never believed I could do something like that. And then and now, and now I'm finding this whole world and it's amazing. And I realised just how much passion I actually did have for that growing up. But it was kind of eaten out of me by the system. Yeah, no, 100%. The exact same thing in Glen Ross where I'm from. There's just none. You just, it was a world that doesn't exist. And even now, like having worked in TV for maybe professionally, maybe a year, if that. I still feel like an imposter and I say this on the podcast all the time it's like how am I here like you know this just wasn't I still get kind of enthusiastic and a bit like sort of starry-eyed when I'm go to like meetings with like writers and stuff because I'm like this is just not a world I ever thought I'd be part of and they're a bit like it's normal to them if that makes sense yeah. it was never an option for us was it you know I, I, I think that's part of what makes you likable and can do well though because for me when people meet me and they go oh god like how are you there we are like how have you and I've got like some people who are associated with artists where like other artists I know say, how do you know that person? And I'm like, well, I think because when I met them, I was just being me. And, you know, if you ever want to know someone, the worst thing in the world you could ever do is talk to them about what they're known for. Because I've never met a, a famous musician who's wanted to talk about their music. And I've never wanted to talk about their music. Who's, like, do you know what quite often, see more often than not, it's wrestling. It's someone, <laughs> it comes up and someone kids only don't like it. And then like, you, they, a few people talk about it and a few minutes later, like, you know who my favourite wrestler was? And that's thing, you know, we're all kid, we've all got over the lie that we didn't watch as kids. So, yeah. like, there's your advice for like, if you meet your hero, don't talk to them about their work because who wants to talk about that? But people say it to me, it's like, well, how did you, how did, how's that? And I'm like, I just always had this thing, like, to me, the fact that I came through the Largs and ended up doing something like this 
it's kind of hilarious. I'm like, that's so funny that I'm just every day that it happens, I'm like, that's like that's so funny to think how we grew up to where I am now. Like I'm just like, well, do you know what? I feel like I don't feel like I try not to think about this imposter syndrome as much as just being jammy. Like, yes, I was pure jammy and I'm still being jammy. <laughs> yeah. I like that I mean, way of like thinking pure, it. Pure gallus yeah. and all that. <laughs> that's a really, really interesting way of thinking about it. Maybe I need to own it a bit more than I do actually. Um Yeah. It is so typical for us as Scots to be like self-defeatist about it, whereas I just think well, do you know what, of all the countries in the world and all the regions in the world to have done something, and I'm not saying I've done a lot, but like to have done anything compared, you know, sometimes if you said that to people, they might think, oh, you think you've done a lot? And it's like, nah, I just know where we came from. Like, we've just done more than anyone ever thought of us, and that's enough. 100%. For me, like, I think even to like have the balls to go for something like in the arts, what, like what we're both doing is in itself is incredible, to be honest. My best friend said to me the other day that, She'd never been to Edinburgh and I thought she was joking. She'd said it to me before and I just assumed she was being white and she was talking to myself and my partner and she said it again. And I was like, wait, are you not joking? She was like, no, I've never been to Edinburgh. But that that's not uncommon for like people from small regions to have never been to the a bigger city than their town. And sometimes people outside don't understand that because they've always committed to work or they, they've lived somewhere else. Like to some people where I lived, like if you went to uni in Glasgow, that was like you'd got a scholarship in America. Yeah. So for us to have played tea in the park, people people used to always be like, people who try to batter me, you would call up and go, mate, you just played tea in the park, you're sound now. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> you, you're no longer going to get threatened for a kicking every weekend. I'd be like, that's I, think, I think, thank you. <laughs> no, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. We'd sort of actually started talking about the next question I had for you anyway, but we'll let it sort of flow in naturally, I suppose we have been. But the sort of question I was going to ask you next is about where you're from, but I suppose you'd already started to talk about being from Lags and stuff. But like, how, I assume, how has that influenced you as a creative person? I think coming from somewhere like that, you always knew you were going to be an outsider. So I've just been driven and done my own thing. And I've never been, and we never got caught up in the whole Glasgow's the epicenter of music in Scotland book. We always understood that we were like the outsiders, so and maybe there's a bit of a chip in my shoulder, and it just made me like driven. I don't know, but like you know, so when you speak to people from London and they've not heard anyone in Scotland, doesn't offend me. I'm like, well, you want like I've just had this thing of life where it's just like if someone hasn't heard of you, you just go, well, now you have, so here we go. Like let's <laughs> let's prove that let's prove why I should be here. And because we had that when we started in the first band I was in before Brown Bear, we always said let's just go and book a show on anywhere that will take us, and we'll go door to door until people know our name, because it's the only way we're going to be able to do it. Not not. Because we were we were like we we're so cool and we want to do this and we're so it's like we actually have no other option because we don't have that Glaswegian infrastructure or that city infrastructure. We don't have mm. you know like I come from a working class family as well in a working class town and, and Ayrshire is a very working class area. Like there isn't the money or the support to exist and and for working class people to exist in music it's so so difficult because it's a it's a rich person's game. Like entertainment in general now is the middle to upper class playing field and there's not really room for working class people and I would love to see I mean some some people have great schemes for that especially in TV but less so in music and I'd love to see a bit more of that and I do feel that like the class has been lost and then with that we've lost the standard of music because people are not talking about real life things 100% right because yeah. they're talking about things from the gaze of like let's go in and we'll all work on this song and it's for this brief and it's like and because they're all being paid to do it that's all they do and they're just lost a, a character which you know which was in a big renaissance in the 90s with Oasis and all these things and with the Manchester thing so I think like to me growing up in that area set me up for like the failure wasn't mm. jarring I expected failure I expected no's and I relished in the yes 
and the nose never deterred me. It just made me go. I might be scared to say it, but people in some places who still don't really want to work with us, and, and some of the reasons I don't know why. And it's never made me think, well, I want to keep asking to get in that show. It's just made me go, okay, we'll go and make our own thing. You were talking earlier about the music videos. Like, we just were like, okay, if we're not in with these people who do these things, we'll just go make our own things. And we ended up making cool things. And now I see videos, and like, I know people have seen our videos because it's such a distinct, different style compared to everyone else. And people talk to me all the time about, how did you make that? You know, I get messages all of a sudden. How did you make that video? Who did you work with? And I'm like, oh, we made it. And they're like, oh, no way. Like, so I think as as hard as it was not having that infrastructure, it did give us like the fight, I guess, mm. to be like, well, you know what? Like, we're not going to take no as an answer. We're going to just go and keep kicking doors down and doing it our own way. Yeah, no, that, that's a that's a brilliant answer. And it's kind of, we had um, Zach from the band Dictator on a few weeks ago, and he was sort of talking about similar things. They're obviously from Livingston, the band, and like they were talking about a similar thing of not having that infrastructure in place and having to really do it themselves. And it's exactly the same as what you're saying, really. And it, it, I think that happens everywhere. I, I'm always saying to people when they ask me how'd you get into TV, I'm always like, well, the front door's here. You can't really get in the front door, so you have to like find a, a window around. It's a cl- bit of a cliche, but you know, you do. You yeah. have to like sneak around and find a way in. It's like how, how you will get in the building, but you might you might have to break a few windows and like crawl through or whatever. But it's so true. And you you probably know that horrible thing where people go, "Well, Glenroth is pretty near Edinburgh. Like, it can't be that hard." But yeah. it's it's a world away. Well, to I'm me, like, it's it, it, yeah, and for me, and the same with Ayrshire. It's seen as some sort of subsidiary as Glasgow, but like that is not how life is in Ayrshire. And and when we we tour, we quite often go places and folks say, "Well, you shouldn't be doing." You, you know one of the places we always get asked to come to is Fife and people are like well should you be doing Fife if you've got an Edinburgh show I'm like yeah because people in Fife aren't going to Edinburgh for shows they want shows not where they stay not everyone has like 20 quid to just go jump on a train that's not a luxury to a lot of people I, 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 exactly. especially now it's like we're taking away music from the people and I just don't, just don't believe in that because music's meant to be for the people not like and, and, and what all we've done is created a system where people go music's really expensive so save up so everyone just goes well if we're going to save up anyway we'll save up and we're going to see Ed Sheeran once a year yeah. instead of and then the investment's all in the same person and nothing changes instead yeah. of going you know what let's stop paying money to these people who don't need it and let's go and pay it let's try and get people to come to our area and we'll make sure they're paid to come and we'll all have a good night and it's like and then it, and it pays for our own venues and our own people are working blah, 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 and it trickles down the economy like but people just sadly are kind of disenfranchised with music. Yeah. Just now. A hundred percent. No, it's, it's sad. And I know even like 10 years ago, I remember my friend, the first band I ever saw, that was the Vaccines. I think that probably cost me like 15 pounds or something. If that, yeah. they played now, it'd probably be like 40 or 30. Do you know what I mean? At, at the same level they were at. And like, that just shows you in 10 years how much like the, the price yeah. of music just went up. Yeah. And I, I, some venues that have come out of COVID have been amazing and they've, they've done like a pay what you can thing. And I think that's so right on. And I, I see people announce tours and I think, oh my goodness, I'd love to see them. And I see the price and I go, I can't, I can't afford to go to that. Yeah. But even working in music, like, who's, who's affording to... And, and so then what happens is the crowds they play to are middle to upper class people who just are there because they can afford to be there, not because... And then what happens is an artist comes out and they say something provocative. And instead of saying it to a crowd and inspiring them, they're saying it to a crowd of people who are passive and they go, oh, I wish they would keep the politics out of the show and just go on with the music. Because those people yeah. don't care. But the whole point of music is to fucking inspire people to like rebel and all that and like instead what you're getting is just a bunch of wet blankets watching a bunch of wet blankets and it's fucking shite 100% this is something I feel like I've not spoken of on this podcast because we don't have enough musicians on so it's great to finally start getting more on which is amazing but just to sort of keep it moving on because I know you're on a little bit of a schedule I want to sort of talk about the sort of start of your career in the music so how, how did the band how did Brown Bear come about like what was the sort of start of that I, I'd, I've been in a band called Brown Bear and the Bandits so it was a kind of different band and we started as pals and it was like playing but then 
didn't like we didn't plan for anything to happen so like it wasn't when you start with pals you have the best intentions but as you get on it mm. and the business comes into it it gets really murky yeah. territory when management got involved they were kind of just like ah, Matt's what we manage and I was always a bit like ah this feels unfair there's two other people and they were just like because ultimately management are there to see the the finance and pe- things and people and they were like yeah. you know you're where we see the money and that band kind of naturally then fell apart because there was, which is, which was frustrating for me because I spent my life fighting for the other members, but that didn't matter to them because they weren't getting what they perceived to be like the love of the management that I had. They just walked away and then we were left in a shitstorm and there was friction between me and the management because I'd never gone with what they didn't believe in. So when they left, they were kind of like, we told you so, you know. So then they were like, time to go back and rebrand. And I was like, I just want to go under Brown Bear. Like, I don't, this is such a silly thing to say for some people, but it's kind of true of a lot of artists. But like, my worst fear is being the centre of attention. So I like to just do the shows and go home. And that's that's enough for me. And um, didn't really want it to be my name. Didn't want it to be about me. I was like, it's called Brown Bear. It's like a band. We'll get in the people we need to get in when we need to get them in. And yeah, like, we, we were so lucky when we started out. We got, I mean, the first single got playlisted in Radio, it was Radio X, it was XFM at the time, it's Radio X now. Mm. We're on Radio 1, we're on, like, the Libertines announced their comeback and we got the support for that. So everything that happened at the start was, like, again, same as the first band, but it was just this, like, bang. And it was, but we weren't prepared for any of it, we didn't know what to do with it. So we had all this attention and all this buzz. And, and you know what, see, because people didn't really know what Brown Bear was, if it, like, is it him, is it a band? It made a lot of people in PR and that interested. It, at the beginning, when people didn't really know what we're about, it made people come. They saw us and it was great, but then we didn't follow up with anything because we didn't we didn't have any income, we didn't have any money, we didn't have support, label. We had a lot of people talking big to us. No one was seen it through. And, you know, we decided to go and make a record because labels, records were still more the thing than singles at the time. And it's funny because I was saying we should do singles, 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 singles record. That's not the way it's done. Labels were like, yeah, cool, you're a buzzband, go make a record. We went and made a record, took it back to labels, and they said, yeah, you're not a buzzband anymore because you've not been playing live. So we don't want to hear the record. And it was like, what do we do now? But yeah, that's, that's how it started. Like, we, we, you know, it was like up and then really fast back down. And we were in that limbo of like, what what do we do now as a band? Like, they, I'm, I'm the only really, the only member of the band. Everyone who's in it, I mean, Sam, who's the drummer, has been my friend from the start and he's stayed loyal to the project. and. We've got a great system now because we kind of see each other for the time we have to see each other and then we don't. And it's like, it's actually amazing because every time you're together, you love being together. Whereas I, when I was in the band before, you're together all the time. By the time you tour, you hate, you hate each other. You can't stand. And if any band thinks, no, nah, we're not like that, give it time. Because <laughs> you're living on top of each other, it's, it's inevitable you're going Natural, to... yeah. And it's kind of great for me because I just go to people and say, like, this is what I'm thinking, are you into it? And they can say... Yeah, I am, or no, I'm not. And it's no hard feelings. If someone said, if I went to the band now and said, like, this is what I think the new record should be, and they said, nah, it's not for me, they could walk away and say, nah, that's not for me. And I go, I respect that. You've got your own career and your own things. When you're in a band, it's very different because you go and you say, that's what I want to do. And if two people say, nah, well, then you're just stuck and nothing can move forward. Whereas, but you know, so so that that's how we started, and that's where I mean I don't know how far to go into it because there's more questions. No, to no, come you're cool. You're cool. I, I, see, this is the thing when I'm. This is the best thing I love, love most about doing the podcast. Sometimes I forget I'm interviewing somebody, and I'm just enjoying like listening to this <laughs> thing. And I'm like, you'd actually got to ask more questions here, so you should probably interject. But you know, I've, it was just a good answer. And I, just to quickly, I had a, one point I was going to say was I, I imagine that thing you're saying you weren't sure what to do with that success also kind of comes back to that working class thing of you, no one's really ever given you that guidance or like you know you don't have the tools to know what to do with that success and I imagine that happens to so many 
bands because they almost weren't ready for the success. I'm not saying in terms yeah. of ability, I just mean in terms of like being able to cope with it, etc. You know, the worst thing managements, I had a great management, uh, by the way, for this, uh, the worst thing most man- managers don't do is manage expectations. I had an amazing manager at the start. I had two managers, but uh, Miles and Adrian, Adrian Hunter, managed celebrities. He was such a great manager. And I used to think he, w- I used to think he was too harsh. As I've got older, I've realised he was just so honest. And he'd be like, you're not, you know, I sometimes go up and say, why can't we do that? He'd be like, you're not ready to. I think, come on, what? But he was right. And there's some things that we did because I pushed so hard and he must have went, you know what, we'll go ahead and do it then. And it hadn't worked out. And now I look back and think, God, I wish I'd waited. I wish I'd listened to him. But you're young and you're hungry, you know. And But what, what I found happened was we had all this natural things happening to us and we had all the things, all the bands around us and this trajectory of like all the people were around. We just kept seeing everyone going up and up and up and we were staying there. And every time I asked, like, how, how have they got this? How did they do that? The answer was always, ah, their money. Well, you know what? Their dad's actually this person there. They've got this money. That, well, they can mm. afford to do it. They, who's paying for that? They, they're paying for it. Like, you know, we, we got offered a really great tour support once. I, I won't name it. I don't want to put anyone in an awkward situation. But it was all going the artist side and it was all going the promoter side. And then the label stepped in and said, you know, it's a £10,000 buy-on because the record's not doing so well as we thought. Now, when you're from a working class background, who has £10,000 spare to go on a tour? Yeah. But that's the reality of being on tours. Like when you see big artists and they go and like, you can you think back, cash your eyes back to anyone you know that's been on big tours. It's not even just that you're not on the tour and not getting paid. Sometimes you're buying onto that tour. I didn't without... know that. That's insane. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's the case. And like, how, how do you afford to do that? It's like, yeah. You're trying to do it full time. So then you're working on top and, you, you know, like, and, and then then there comes other sides to like, why or why not things did or didn't work out for us. But a big factor was money and finance. And like, you know, I, I know some people who have record deals because it's with a major label, but their their family are actually the ones bankrolling it. And they yeah. said that, yeah, you can use our resources, but we're not paying for it now. Like, but it makes them look great and it makes it look like it's a thing. Like, sadly, like a lot of getting ahead in music's at the same, the same, I'm sure, in many other industries is about money. And there's only finite resources. Mm. But what I would say is there's great organisations like Help Musicians and Creative Scotland who want to get funding out to help support people. And they're doing their best they can. Creative Scotland sometimes got a bad rap. And I was probably one of those people who thought that they didn't fund certain types of people, but when I actually just got in touch with them and spoke to them, they were it was such a different situation. And I think what we talked about just off air was like, it was that thing of like, should should we get in touch and talk or what? And, and should we do the podcast? But as soon as she said to me, I was like, yeah, let's do it. And I think people do that with Creative Scotland. They think, nah, they wouldn't fund me and they don't apply. Yeah. And then they say, they, yeah. and then they say they never fund people like me in Creative Scotland. They're thinking, but you didn't apply, right? So like, if you don't speak to them and don't ask them and don't apply, you'll never get the funding. They'll never know you're there, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. and when I've, whenever I've spoken to them, it's always been really welcoming and really positive. And, and Jamie, Creative Scotland, who deals with music, Jamie Houston, he, he's such a, a supporter of new music that he wants to see people come through but like he, he, can't, he there's no way he could go and look up every band in Scotland no, they don't have the funding either yeah no they don't have but if you go to them and say could I talk to you about where I'm at they can tell you really honestly where you're at I did a, I did a talk for musicians and what I was trying to say to the people when I was talking was like be honest with yourself about where you're at because there's like I look back at loads of times where I thought I should get funding and as, a, as an older musician who's done it for a little while now I was like oh I should never have got funding then. I wasn't ready for that. Whereas there's times now where I have had funding and it's worked out so well because I've been at the right stage. And and if you go for funding and they've got two slots left, they've got one bit of funding left and there's two people. And one person's like, if this money comes in, then we could do this. And the other person's like, I just like it. 
you're going to give it to the person that it could help. Mm. So it's like being honest with yourself. And that's a hard thing to be, I think, is honest with yourself about where yeah. you really are at. But once you are, it helps you. It really helps you move forward because you can take pragmatic steps in doing that. No, it's fair. I think that applies to all parts of the creative industry. I think it's great for people to hear that. So thanks for sharing that as well. I'm going to quickly ask you like, what it was like sort of going on a big European tour at that age. Like That must have been pretty amazing at the time as well yeah it was class like it was just do you know what man it's just a whirlwind wasn't it like I, I think we just were like walking about like starstruck the whole time we'd never been in a tour bus before <laughs> and we and we were sharing a tour bus with the circle waves who were just like yeah they were just wild because they i think they wanted to prove they were rock and roll or something and i've said them the interviews like we were with this really tame scottish man it's like right, come on boys simmer down because you wouldn't be saying that like they're really they're really nice guys but they wanted to ham up how rock and roll they were and it's like come on like just be sound i mean but yeah, yeah it was really cool because they, they let us share the bus with them and Kieran's just such a talent man like he's such a great writer and such mm. a nice guy and their drummer at the time wasn't the drummer now the guy that was a drum tech for them was a, is the drummer now he was there as a tech for them at that point and their drummer in that tour was really wild and I think maybe led to his I don't know if I don't know if that was the set <laughs> I always guess that maybe some of the things that happened were what led to him, yeah. to him going and, and obviously like being in the Libertines like tour is just crazy and there yeah, was a reunion yeah. for them so there was you know we, we were getting off the bus at like Amsterdam and there was queues of people from like who'd come over from Japan because they thought well this might be the only time we get to see them and like I mean it was honestly like some places you go with the Libertines are with Peter it is like Peter mania like I, I can't I mean I, I've, mm. I've supported a lot of acts been out of acts I've seen a lot of people see someone and go oh my goodness that was a person but I mean it was like like they're fanatics so I don't, I don't know if it like it just it was just an amazing learning curve yeah, yeah. and like we learned we learned a lot about etiquette and buses and etiquette and tour I, I, I'm a real learner and like and actually after that tour I got asked back to work on their tour because I was, you know, I was always like, oh, how does this work? How does that? I just like to know and I chat to people, hi, yeah. And, and me, <laughs> when I worked on tours, I honestly think this is the thing that kept me on tours. <clears throat> when I first worked for them, they, they, they said, like, your job is just to, like, really help anyone that needs help. And I would, so I would just walk up to people and I would say, do you need anything? And then they go, I don't know. And I'd be like, so I'd start thinking, oh, gosh, maybe I have to fill in the bank. And i go, do you, do you want a bottle of water or something? And then this would be like a tech guy. And he'd be like, no one's ever asked me that before. And I'd be like, I'll get you that. <laughs> so then, and, and this is the thing, man, I learned, like, the crew is what makes this world go round. Mm. So then the crew love me. So like, what use happens in the tour is you have the crew and then you have like a management and they kind of never interact and then there's a band and the crew have their own hierarchy and there's maybe that some speaks them. I was like the one person that like the management liked, the band liked, the crew liked, everyone like, hey Matt, and I'm like, hey, and then they were like, because I was, and I just thought that was what I was supposed to do. I was just grew up and I was always told to be polite. People would say, oh, could you have this thing? And then the security bots were like, here, let us teach you how security works. And, and then the next thing I had a walkie talkie and I was doing different jobs. And then before I knew it, I was like everybody's assistant and I was like everyone was like who's this wee Scottish guy that's running barking hard as a folk like who the fuck did they play them <laughs> when I came off that tour like I'd, I learned so much about what I expected from my own setup and, and how to speak to people at different levels and I met mm. I made a lot of great contacts and yeah I got asked to tour manage Kyle Faulkner after that from The View amazing uh, so next, so then I went from working as an assistant to, to it was kind of like as a tech driver at first and it pr proceeded up to being the tour manager on that tour and you know like and this was great for me because this was during that period that where we made that album and no one wanted to hear it and I was like well, what do I do because I don't, I don't know anything else but music and I learned so much about the mechanics that I just eventually yeah. went I'm going to release this record myself I don't know, I'm not going to sit about and wait for people I'm going to do it and I had the the confidence and the skills to do it and I had 
the kudos, and I had I knew how to approach people differently, and I knew how to, I knew what I knew how to like. And in every stage of my career, I think I've learned that I've learned to say, you know, this is. I also always have had this thing that's like I was talking to my partner about it today, and I was saying like, you know, if you ever get an offer, it's like if something comes up say a ridiculous thing and then if they agree it then you know what they're about and I always do it I always say like mm, this much and sometimes the figure's ludicrous but then I, I think well, well if they say no fine because I don't want to do it if they say yes then it's I'm getting paid enough to do something I don't want to do and I, I think you know what I mean it's like there's there's no way to lose from that yeah it does really interesting that like the, how you're going on tour and how you're like all learning from it as well it's a really really interesting like way of looking at it it's very positive as well yeah I think so I think so to come back to the question like I think yeah it was like overwhelming or starstruck but once I settled into it I think I just thought I just love this and I want to know more and I was fascinated again about being around it and, but what I was mental like I'd never like slept in a bus before and like that's class and, and you know before you sleep in a tour bus the first thing they say is like right don't you have to sleep this way because then if, if you sleep this way and the bus stops suddenly or crashes like you'll break your neck and then you're sitting in like shaking the whole <laughs> first night you can't sleep because you think you're going to die and you know like getting to see all these places I mean for, I Again, like being working class, it's not like we went on holidays. I think like we went on holidays every few years. And we yeah, could yeah. maybe afford to go to like down to England somewhere. We've never really been abroad. Like next thing you know, I'm going like every every day. I'm in a new city in this new country I've never been to, and I was like, class. this is incredible. Like this is like being in a wee holiday, but I also get to play a show. And but then the shows were the stressful part for me because so far there were like twelve thousand capacity shows. So we'd gone from like never played in Europe to playing to twelve thousand <laughs> people, and I'm like being sick on stage. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, that's incredible! Yeah, I remember seeing the Libertines on that on uh, at Tina Park when did the reunion, and it was it was an amazing thing to see. Hello, it's JB here. You may have heard this advert several times before, but if not, this is basically just me taking a minute to remind you guys that if you're enjoying the podcast, there are a number of things you can do to help us keep growing. Now, as many of you might be aware, the podcasting landscape is incredibly saturated. And I mean, there's lots of podcasts. We all love podcasts. But it's very difficult for independent podcasts like us to sometimes break through and to be noticed. So doing things like sharing us on social media, word of mouth, and just telling friends and family to listen, or even leaving us a little five-star review on places like Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts go so far in helping us to keep growing. Me and Elliot adore this podcast. We love making this podcast. So if you're able to help in any way by doing something like that, we'd be incredibly grateful. Not just for our podcast, but if you love any independent podcast, please try and give them a wee share or give them a review because it, it goes so far. Another thing you can do if you enjoy the podcast as well, and we appreciate that this is a very difficult time, but if you're enjoying this podcast and you want to help us, you can donate as little or as much as you like to our Patreon page, and you can do that by going to patreon.com slash job, or you can click the link in the show notes. Anything you can afford, we are very grateful for. Thank you for your continued support, and I hope you enjoy the rest of today's episode. Well, I also, you sort of alluded to your album there, but of course I wanted to ask you about the album and about What Is Home and stuff, because, I mean, it's a, great, it's a great album, and, and particularly the song, the song of that, like, What Is Home, like, an amazing song. So, how, yeah. like, you did that all yourself, so how, how was that process? Like, Yeah, we, we worked with a producer called Joe McElindon, and we went up and made most of the album in Argyle, and we'd road tested a lot of those songs, you know, and but it was just good to get something down, and, and like, with any album, like, it's over a period of time, so you've got these songs and the similar experiences, and then you're chatting 
piece it all together as a record and some songs get in, some get lost. What songs I always find an interesting song because I'd had this idea about it as a song and there was two sides to it. Sometimes when you write, you write and when you get to the end of writing, you realise, I think I was writing about that. So you go into it, I went into it thinking I was writing a lot about where I was at and maybe like feeling a bit of depression and that and then I got to the end and I thought, yeah, I was really considering actually what home was like. Like, you know, I'd grown up mixed race in Scotland, like with a black parent and a white parent. And you get to a certain age where you realise, like, what, do, what am I here? Like, because people, people, nobody accepts you as Scottish, really. Like, you know, you spend your whole mm. life having to justify the fact that you are Scottish. And you think, well, then what, what is my home? Because I've never been to Africa. Like, I've never been back. So out to the continent, let alone the specific country in which my family originate from. And Scotland very much was home to me, but I, I didn't feel part of that. So, like, I've been thinking a lot about that. We were travelling, we are touring, we were doing a festival in Switzerland. And I had this idea for a song. I was kind of strumming it, and I had a bit of words, and I was like, "Nah, I don't know, don't know." And it's a really weird thing, like when you go on tour, because you, like for me, I spend my days maybe doing press and radio and podcasts, and then the band off and get shown around where we're going. <laughs> and I'm, they they come back and go, "You should have seen this city. It was class." And I've just been sitting on that. Yeah, I'd love to have seen it. But <laughs> the one bit we did get to go to, they took me to a shop because I, I needed I didn't have the extension plug because I think it's different in Switzerland to everywhere else in Europe. And when we were walking through the wee mall or whatever it was in Lucerne, it was like there was a, a, a clock, like a Swiss clock shop, and I was like mm. watching the clocks and I was thinking, and I got back and I was sitting waiting for people waiting to do an interview, so playing the guitar, and I was like, oh my, I started picking it in that pattern, like like a clock, and I was like, oh my god, like, this is how I should do it, and I was like, oh, so scribbling down, kind of finished the song, and then we went up to go on stage that night, <clears throat> they said, oh, you're actually playing this long, I was like, oh my goodness, I didn't know that, I didn't know we were headlining this outdoor stage, I like no, no one told us this. So I was like, maybe I'll do some songs myself. And I went up and played that song by myself in the break. Like, and you could hear a pin drop. People were like, and I thought, wow, there's something in this song. And that became like the song that kind of summed up the album and a lot of the feelings yeah. I had. And yeah, I'm really proud of that record because we made it on a budget of nothing. And, you know, it was just like myself and the drummer and then Joe and, and then some an amazing guitarist called Eric Lindsay came in to play some of the guitar on it. And Stuart as well had come in to do percussion and some bits, I think. So, so yeah, we really made that on nothing. And it was like, and, and I still get people talking about it or tweeting about it or I've just bought it or, you know, Tim Burr just did the listening party for it and yeah, yeah. this year and that's three years after it's been out. And it's a great record, still... man. I, I, I genuinely mean that. It's it's a really great record. So congrats for doing that. I didn't yeah. even realise no, you got, I, I didn't so. know you'd done it on no money. So there you go. That speaks for itself. Yeah, there you go. And But that's what happens at the start. Like you don't have money. So you just have to beg, borrow and steal. And, yeah, and, yeah. You know, the one thing I would say when when people say no money or no budget, it's not, it's not that it's free because people... People have given money in their time. And if it wasn't for those people's time, we wouldn't have that record. No matter what our standing are with any of the people involved with any point, like we're always going to appreciate that like their time is the reason we have a record. And, and I think you'll know like from like scripts and TV and film, like even when you make a small budget short, it's not really because what the budget's yeah, the been taken up gone into it, by the, yeah. the time invested in it, you know. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, nothing in life's free. And yeah, I've learned that along the way. But yeah, I'm, I'm just super proud of it. Like, uh, and, and when it came and it got pressed, like it's. Uh, I, I was obsessed and I still am with vinyl. Like my whole life I loved physical mm. copies of music and I collected it. So to have a vinyl that was mine and it was me and I'm on it, I was yeah, just like, this is like the, prou- the proudest moment of my life. Like it doesn't matter what it does. Yeah. Someone said to me the other day something about like, how, what, when you did this for the record, like did it chart? And I was like, I never even considered. <laughs> this was nothing for me other than portfolio i just wanted to get the record out make it see what we could do i don't i don't really give a shit about charting in that man no, 100%. The, the way the chart system works as well like now you can do bundles and you can put a tape and a cd and a, a t-shirt and 
and a ticket and it counts as five sales even though you've got one thing yeah. so when people won't get chart places it's like you've cheated the charts so it like, doesn't mean anything it's like what matters is that when you like someone like yourself coming today and saying like I love that record or you, you know people have come and said that song really changed the circumstance I was in or singing that song back to your show like that that's what matters in music because it's the connection that's what we, yeah. we tell the stories we're trying to our job as writers is to articulate the human experience that other people can't articulate and that's why people love it because they go you've just articulated something I've been through and that's made me realise I'm not alone that's yeah. success that's everything be- else beautifully put yeah beautifully put I don't know why and I don't know where All I know is I'm not coming home And the end is coming I don't mind, no I'm not scared On the road is what I call but similarly, like people say to me, because this podcast is something I do in my spare time, and because I love it and I love the conversations I get to have with people like yourself. And I'm if even 40 people listen to this and take something away from it, then I'm happy. Like people always say, How many downloads did you get? Blah blah. blah. And I'm like, I don't really care. I do check. I'm not, you know, I'm human. I do sometimes check and go, Oh, that's mm-hmm. not very much. Sometimes it's a good week, and you're like, Oh, that's class. There's been like 200 people of it or whatever. But I don't really think about it for that. It's the same as you're saying about the charts. It's like, because it, it's not about that. It's about if is it good, is it a good conversation? That's really the yeah. main thing that matters. I, I, I try to never think about it. I used to get so hung up in that. How many streams? And someone said to me, well, like, the last single didn't stream well. And I thought, oh, no. And someone said, but look at all the video views and all the platforms. People were what, digesting you in a different way. And then I just got to this time and I thought, I don't care. Like I've, I have I have been to see people who have a million monthly listeners and 10 billion streams and they've played to a room of three people. It, TikTok, all those things, it means nothing. It doesn't do anything for you. People at TikTok, people in the music industry have not figured out how to monetize it into artist sales, into record sales, it's not going to last. So you can make content for now and be forgotten tomorrow, or you can make content for you and hopefully be remembered in 10 years. And that's what you've got to decide. Are you an artist or are you a a scrounger? And and to me, like, I want to be an artist. I want to make things because it means something to me and hopefully it means something to other people. I don't care about all that other stuff, like... Because you know what we we're not on some of the playlists, but we've sold out bigger shows and people who have millions of streams, and it's like, well, what really it's because we're grafting and we have a connection with our audience that is real. Because I'm me, and I, I remember meeting someone in Norwich of all places, and I was I was on a different tour, and they said, oh, "Are you Brown Bear?" And I was like, "Yeah." And they were like, "Do you know what I love about you? You just don't give a fuck. You just do what you want when you want, and, and when you decide <laughs> you're going to do things." And I was like, "But it's not it's not that I'm doing that to I'm not I'm not doing that. It's just that I have a family and I have friends and I have interests and." And I just want to live my life and I want to enjoy my life and I want to enjoy my work. And, and for a period of my life, I hated music. I hated gigs and I hated being involved in music because I was doing it because I was being told I had to. And I wasn't doing it with a love of doing it. Whereas now I just do, I only do things if I want to do them. And it's maybe a bit selfish, but no, it keeps, not selfish at all. It's, keeps it's, me well, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I don't think that's selfish at all. I think that's, I think more people would be happier if they did that. And um, I think it's yeah. good for people to hear. And there would be more space for everyone to do it. Yeah. If everyone didn't take up all the time trying to constantly make something of themselves, there'd be space for us all to be able to make a living. And then someone said to me the other day, I was in a meeting because I'm trying to build a, a team for this record because I think we're onto something really great and I, I do want it to reach the biggest possible audience within reason. And, and they said to me, what is it you want from music? And I was like, honestly, man, just, just to play X level of show because I love that venue and to be on these radio shows because I like those shows. 
and to have enough money to put food on my table that's it like, I don't yeah care. that's that's it man. I, I, th- I think every musician should have the dignity of having a living wage every year and currently about 90% of professional musicians aren't making a living wage Enough. but then there's about 2% of musicians who are making more money than they'll ever need and I think of all the businesses in the world where that's wrong but it's ours yeah I think I think music is particularly an outlier and I think that, I mean as I said there's inequality across the arts and in <laughs> terms of that but I think particularly music from the people I've had on this as well that's they'd all say the same thing but speaking about where you go next and stuff and like the sort of the team for the new things like I mean the stuff you've been working on like obviously retro which came out I know that yeah. was 2020 but it was sort of a bit of a different sound what a tune that was the first song I ever heard of you that's a great song oh, and then obviously the new we'll, we'll sort of tie these in but the new song as well One More Night what what a great song and like what a video as well it, that weirdly the first time I listened to it I watched the video as I listened to it which I don't normally do and it just added even more to it like so yeah I think I think um, videos have become a thing for me and I love narrative and I love filmmaking and I'd had this crazy idea let's do a video with a pop I think because right, so so like I'm quite outspoken and I have very strict beliefs in life about different things and morals and some people find that jarring and to me like when you say something with a puppet, you can say, you could say something really out there and it's not offensive. It's not like in someone's face. And I was like, let's let's do it because it's going to be fun. And we wanted to do something fun coming back. Like this has been a heavy few years. Let's make sure it's funny. And we worked with an amazing, it was made by Ella Mackay from Nudge Puppets and Stacey Mitchell, she puppeteered it, she's an incredible puppeteer. And that's, um, she's my partner now as well, but I'm not saying, we actually met because of that shoot. So we met on that shoot, that's how, how we, we met. And Hannah McMillan directed it and Laura Buchanan was the DOP and we had a guy called Jack Darrow, who's an incredible writer and filmmaker. He's actually nominated for a BAFTA first like script kind of award. So like to even have him on the set as a gaffer is ridiculous because he's far too talented to, to be there. Yeah. Um, and then a guy called Connor Welsh who's a great up and coming. Well, he's, he wants to do directing that, but he edited. So we just had an amazing team of people who just wanted to make something really cool. And obviously Sabrina Mandula, who you mentioned off air, she's in the band, but she's an actor. And she's just incredible. Yeah. So it's just all of us getting to do that during lockdown. And we just wanted to create something fun. And it is the best video in a way we've done. And we knew it'd be funny and it's engaging, but it's telling a story. And, and with all of the things we do, like we love making videos. I love making shorts. And because yeah. if essentially our videos are pretty much short films you know and they are short um, films 100 percent, yeah and, and i love filming and i've started to work a bit in it and i'm just trying to find the sweet support between the two and mm. do something do it differently because when i was younger the bands spoke out and they did things and there was cool videos and there was it was a, a thing and now music's just bland and i feel like i take a lot from film because there's things like even you know in netflix you don't know who's watched that you take it for what it is or the cinema whatever it is like Obviously, you can look it up. And music, everything's done by numbers, and it's like, you know, and then we stop taking it as the art, and I was kind of like, let's move away from music and towards film, and, you know, this was during lockdown, and we didn't know how long it was going to last, so even though it came out now, but that's that's what happens with the pandemic. There's a lot of delays. We, we were kind of like, we need to find ways of engaging people from home, and also it helps, like you said, it helps add the story to it, so then you're like, oh, this is further meaning to this yeah. video, and... And I was really happy with the stuff we got in. Like we had a bit of commentary on the last two years. Like it's so ridiculous when people say all oh, life matters. I was like, well, what if the guy in the bar has got a human life matters t-shirt because this guy's a puppet. So he knows there's going to be puppets in this world, <laughs> and he doesn't like that there's puppets in this world because the world should be for humans. And it's so ridiculous. And it's funny because uh, Jerry, who played the hard man, he's in Scott's uh, Scott Squad and all that. He's not like that at all. He's the most like anti-racist human in the planet so he was like 
I'm in. This is this is a great way of it. And hopefully it's the kind of thing where it's so tongue-in-cheek that if you maybe had that view, you could laugh and go, yeah, do you know what, maybe I've been a little bit ridiculous saying stuff like that. And you, you know what I mean? So we were like, this is a great way to tell the stories we want to tell. But in a fun way, it's not, we're not preaching to anyone. We're just, this is a, this is a bit of a joke. And it's really engaged with you. And, and, and Brown Bear, the puppet, he's, he's, a wee, he's a wee dick, but he's a good laugh and he's <laughs> kicked about and, and hopefully he comes back. Like, he's oh, yeah, I, I think you'd... Uh, have you got him with you? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where he is now. Oh, he's, fair enough. Fair enough. He's here uh, somewhere. Yeah. No, that's classic. You could definitely make a character of him for further songs. Like, there's definitely a lot of potential there. I imagine. Yeah, I, I reckon, and it's almost amazing for me because, like I said earlier, I hate being the centre of attention. So yeah. it's like, if you can go out and do all the rounds for me, this is. <laughs> and some, someone was saying like, maybe you should just suck it up and do TikTok. And I was like, you know, the only way you'll see TikTok is if he had one and he was <laughs> off doing skits, and that was nothing to do with me. Like, yeah, that's well, it. You'll never see, if you ever come about doing an interview or something, just you can just send the puppet. There you go, you're sorted. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I think from now on, I'm here <laughs> I'm because a, I, uh, I lucky, love this I'm one. But... Lucky to get you then um, before yeah. it's too late. <laughs> I know we're, we're we're sort of like cutting it fine for time, so I'm going to have to. I'll skip a few questions. You know, what? it gives me. Excuse no, go for it. No, let's just. Go for it. To get you back on. No, then. let's just go for it. People can wait. Come on. No, we'll do it. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Very grateful. Very grateful. Well, I also qu- just quickly wanted to touch on retro as well because it is a sort of different sound for you guys in the sense that, like, it's sort of compared to the other record, like, it's quite, it's got a lot of influences of hip hop and, and soul and stuff that maybe the other record doesn't as much. And, like, the music video as well. And it's, it's very like there's a lot of commentary within that in a kind of funny tongue in cheek way as well. Yeah, I think with anyone in music, as you get older, you get more musical. And I have such an honour of writing with an artist called Kitty. I don't know if you've come across her, but if you haven't, check her out. And she's very much in the soul genre and R&B, and that's what I love. And I grew up listening to soul and Motown and Ray Charles and Stevie Wonder and all these people. But I didn't play keys, so the more I was around her, I was, and I started to play a bit of keys. And this sound came naturally, and it was a bittersweet because I'd finally created something where I was like, this is totally me because it's a songwriter thing there's a bit of indie but there's a bit of soul and I feel like I'm mm. onto this kind of hybrid thing but some folk around me were kind of like saying things like oh you know and like now your now your music fits your face like now now you sound the way you should like you didn't really fit in being an indie and, and, and what's quite sad with the indie thing like when Black Lives Matter and all that came up again I, I don't I really like to tell people's names because like it's their story to tell but a quite a notable indie artist had got in touch with me and said like man I hope you're doing well during everything that's going on but he was like you know, we always thought you were going to be tipped for really big things, but all of us always thought you'll probably not do it because indie's not for black people. Like indie is not a welcoming genre. They don't want. I mean, look at Radio X. Like their playlists were one hundred percent white last year, last two years. Yeah, no, it's really bad. You know, like so, it's it's a hard genre to be in when you're doing something a bit diverse. Someone commented on the other day and under one more night saying like, ah, I don't love it, man. There's no edge, and I just don't think that. I don't know that I've ever claimed to have have edge I don't think that's the kind of artist I've ever I don't think I've ever released anything edgy like fuck's sake like, <laughs> um, but I just wanted to really start making the music I, I wanted to make I love the first record and it's where I was but it's not necessarily what I'd always listened to and I, I listened to a lot of hip-hop and a lot of soul and a lot of writers you know and there's a lot of great writers who have like Prince for example who are black but have, have transcended genre and, and we shouldn't be pigeonholed to one genre like being being black or mixed whatever like that doesn't mean you should make a certain genre but also I wanted to get in all the genres I did so I was really proud of Reptil for myself and it was something I, I thought god this is about there and I, I was worried releasing it that people would think it sucked because and what happened is it made me realize like do you know what people are actually following me because they're a fan of me as a writer and my own style and that I was getting so hung up and like is it because we're in the indie thing and I don't think that is 
And the same for One More Night. It's again, it's that kind of, and and I went into this record, you know, and I said, I want to create a real idea of a genre being indie soul. I want that to be our genre and I want to, this album to be like Graceland meets the Miss Education of Lauren Hill and let's do something different. And we've created this record that I'm, I can't wait for people to hear and I, I'm really proud of. And I did that with a producer called Buzzcolor, Ross Hamilton. And he just had that shared vision of like, yeah, man, that's, that's, this sounds cool. And I love, you know, there's some bits in the record that sound almost sampled, but what we did is like, I was like, let's play it for real and then sample ourselves. And like, that was the whole thing with retro. I was like, let's play everything like it's a look, but it's not like, we'll do it for real. So it's like, we're creating our own samples and it's got this real authentic vibe and the way I love to make music, but it's got this feel. And I, I just, everything I've ever done in my life, I thought I want to do it differently and do it my way and do something that's unique and, I know that might take a long time. I know people will hear that and they go, I don't know what to do with it because I don't know where to place it. But then hopefully we get the chance to to break out a bit and show people like, you know, there is new music and new styles and hybrids out there that are worth hearing and it can translate into the mainstream. It can be on radio, but also be appealing to the, to the kind of core musical and it's still very guitar based or key, like the, the main instrument and one more night's actually a ukulele and that's the thing that attracts like a ukulele based track but it sounds like it could be on the radio and retro is piano based and then the next single I think actually might be electric guitar based and but then it all still feels like us so it's, it's been a long a long process but I hope that we're on our way to like I do feel like we've always had a quite distinct sound of our own and I just wanted to keep evolving in that and I didn't I just didn't see the point in making another record like what's own because I've done that. I was like, mm. well, if anyone wants to hear that record, it's there. Like we don't have to remake it like this. And fuck knows what happened for the next record that might be my, my roots are really like as well. Like I was right into heavy rock when I was young. Like maybe we'll make a really rocky album next or I don't know. Like I, I just don't I've got this idea in my head where I'd love to do a collaborations record first and you know I, and I've never spent time in um and like I said in Africa and I'd, I'd love to spend time there before I do a record and see what I take from being over there and that kind of Afrocentric side of the, the sound and, and the way I am because a lot of the Scottish part of the sound is in that first record and this you know what I mean so it's just like artists and writers should grow and that's what I was trying yeah. to do I just wanted to I wanted to keep developing and I, I wanted to challenge myself and it's like now I've made another record where I got to the end of it and I can listen to it start to finish more than once and I'm proud of it and I'm like well that's it doesn't really matter what I obviously hope people love it and I hope we, we find new people and and you know for as many people who might think ah, I don't know if it's for me because I really love that first record maybe we'll find or, or over time they'll, but I, I find that a lot of people have always talked to me and they're like you know we got into the music and the more we listened we like took in the lyrics and then we realised this is a bit more than we thought and then we love it and then we keep playing the record and I hope the same happens for the next record and also like and not to give too much away but like I feel like there's a bit more of a cinematic sound to some of the next record because I'm not because of any like thing other than I'm so obsessive we finally had the budget to do a bit more with the record and I'm so obsessed with film and narrative and I'm always thinking about videos I was kind of like could we actually put these sounds in now in the record because I know we're going to make this video and I think this could enhance how this song looks and so I was sitting making this record starting to think about visuals and what we might do for that and that in itself is cool and it's made it sound again quite unique and quite but then hopefully on the, the more business side of things maybe it'll be more syncable mm. which is ultimately part of your goal as a writer and, and when you're getting things produced is because that's part of how you earn your money now so you know you want to see it on a tv drama or whatever because that's part of the, the business but for me it's more about how what can we do visually now and it's like if it's inspiring we'll hopefully do a great visual show with it and do something again do it differently live as well just because exactly. yeah I'm, I'm a bit over just sometimes seeing bands standing still playing songs because like, I, I don't know i just think like 
the last few years being away from it's made me think we we all need to come back and just show exactly what people have missed and and why music should have value and why we need more funding and support because music of all levels is worth investing in. Yeah. yeah. You say, one more night, one more some of these answers you're given I feel like your answers are very thoughtful in a way like you've got so much to say and you've got so much enthusiasm so in a way for me as an interview it's actually almost kind of hard to sometimes I don't want to stop you because I'm like I really like what you're saying and I don't want to interrupt do you know what I mean so I feel like there's I've not really I've not added a lot but I maybe don't need to in some interviews but I sort of go off onto that into the next part I've started to slowly to wrap things up but I sort of you were talking about Motown and Soul which I'm, I love as well but I just wonder is there like one singer from that genre that you really like that's really inspired you I think oh gosh this is hard the first one was like Michael Jackson as a, a boy because maybe maybe like subconsciously because he looked the most like me as a wee boy and then I loved the singing and the songs and the Jackson 5 growing up and seeing them on TV and like, Christmas mm. time and, and then obviously seeing him going to Michael Jackson and, and then understanding that, that was the same person and like he was such a huge star and it was like all those songs and the music with the videos and like the stories and the films and it was like oh my like I mean, Michael Jackson was whatever people think of him now was like the greatest and I, I was just like this is it when you get older and you start talking to music and you realise that Quincy Jones produced it and that led me really back around to Stevie Wonder and like and, and then Ray Charles and then so to me like Ray Charles is one of the pinnacles of music and mm. it's that first time that he took all that soul and that almost like like human instinct and you can hear the rawness in his voice but then he was like singing kind of gospel tunes but with secular lyrics there's just so much of that and like and then sister is out of tharp and all the, all these people that like we don't i realized really early on i was listening to all this music going everywhere i go people tell me the beatles created music but i know all this music that came before that kind of sounds a lot like what they're doing and it's hard to grow up in britain and to grow around white, white culture because the icons are like people who are doing diluted versions of your other side of your culture and your heritage and and and, and you know obviously not American African American but I, you know it came from Africa and those things got passed down and and that mm. all, all that soul and that struggle and that pressure and like then I love all that stuff that came out in the later 60s in Motown where the, the, the label were obviously quite against it but Marvin Gaye and, and Edwin Starr and all those people had started to do like the protest songs and um, you know they're still played today like, like war you know what I mean how many times you heard that song and I felt like wow what is it good for you know what I mean it's like yeah, and, and then it, from that it became like James Brown and the performance, and I think every, every step of those people, they, those artists, like Aretha Franklin, all those people, like, took little bits from each other and they understood, that, and it was uh, the built and the built and the built and all these people built, and then we had just this collection, and it's and it's mad to me that when we talk about songwriters, you, very often black people aren't mentioned. And they, don't I think, up, yeah, but they don't come up enough, it's mental. Yeah, and it's crazy to me, because black people wrote the like the greatest songs of all time and most most music derives from black origins and it's like yeah. I think I was listening to an interview with Keith Richards probably a couple of years ago and obviously the Rolling Stones are inspired by all that soul and like blues music and stuff from the 50s and early 60s and thing and he, he was talking about he's like how of all these people that are my icons like why are they not talked about like, as much as we are like the, as the Stones and stuff and I was like it's so true yeah and so that I, I was really like into a lot of 
stuff because of that. But at the same time, I was in like loads of rock music, and Nirvana was one of my first loves. I loved Kurt Cobain. I loved. I never forgot them saying that like they just hated guitar solos, and it's like just get to the point. Three minutes, boom, off you go, and like and and they just had this angst and this like, and I loved that. Straight, I just was like straight to the point, and I love that about songs. And like I'm a songwriter at heart, so like I love Paul Simon, and I love you know all these things, and, and it's kind of sad because a lot of people think to be a love songwriting is like listening to the Beatles and Bob Dylan, and all you get is. Folk that sound like Beatles and Bob Dylan and fucking Oasis and it's like man there's so much out there and so many great writers that we don't talk enough about and who they took things from they they would have told you that oh this is where I got that from but history's kind of unwritten that and we've put them on a pedestal and I just like I say I was just fascinated from from a young age I loved, I wanted to know who wrote and then I started to understand that people write for artists and they're not just writers and I got fascinated by that in itself and, and then I, I have this great love of people who write for other people because it's such a skill and it's such a there's such a good reason for it and a lot of people get hung up on like they, like they sit and you know a lot of people just go ah oh, Adele's amazing she writes songs and they don't look at the fact that Greg Kirsten wrote a lot of that new album. You know what I mean? Like, he, and he's writing for like Liam Gallagher as well with Dave Grohl, and he writes for like Demi Lovato. And but he was also in the band The Birds, and his own band were amazing. They were kind of folky and different. And he met Dave Grohl because Dave Grohl loved his band, and then he produced a Foo Fighters record. But now he's like writing for Adele, and it's like it's amazing to like look into those stories and those people. But like the average person goes like, yeah, Adele, she's really great, and it's like yeah, they never oh, know. They're, like, they're hidden behind. They the never scene. know that there's these people who write for these artists. So that's not taken away from the. The fact that they're co-writers, I'm not saying that they don't write or whatever. I'm not like fucking Damon Albarn saying that Taylor Swift can't write. I'm just saying that, like, you know, and and on that argument, like, of course Taylor Swift's a great writer, but also like when you look at the list of the songs that she wrote herself and the list of the songs that she co-wrote, there's a, there's a distinct difference in in which ones are the hits, mm. and that's okay, like, because she's got a ability. But there's other people who obviously are, like, it's, it's like being a director in it, like. There'll be like directors who get the best out of actors, or there'll be like cinematographers who are able are, are great cinematographers, but with a great director, they do better, even better cinematic work. So it's like that's not to say that these people aren't good, but it's like having the right people at the right time and the right team to make the best possible end result. Is music is collaborative, but we kid on it's not. Whereas in film, it's collaborative, and everyone goes, yeah, it's collaborative, and it's not a secret, and it and it's mm-hmm. excellent. And music, everyone tries to kid on, it's a, an individual thing, and then it, it suffers for it because people are close themselves off and say, they're going like, you know what, if we brought a few more people into this, this could be this could be the best possible product. Yeah, that's so true. I never thought about that before either. Like, obviously, because obviously working in TV and film, it is very, very open about being collaborative. Maybe still not enough, but like, it's still very much, you know, yeah. it still is relatively quite collaborative, yeah. Just get a real job. So I've got two more questions to sort of quickly ask you. Um, and I'll let you run away to your thing, don't worry. The first, obviously the name of the podcast is Just Get A Real Job. So we sort of like to ask him, what's the worst real job or worst part-time job you've ever had to sort of work in your life to support yourself as a, as a musician and an artist, etc.? I hate this question because I feel like I never, I feel like I've always just worked to music, like I've always done shows. <laughs> or, I tell you what, like I, I used to take on work like drumming in like pantomime bands and all that. <laughs> I guess that <laughs> sucked pretty hard and then your cymbals getting covered and like the fucking dust from the sprinklers and all that but uh, I, d- I didn't love doing that but it, it made me a wee bit of money when I was younger and I coached rugby it's for a bit for schools it's kind of a weird thing but now I've always had things that I, I, I've always just never I've never done anything like that life I wouldn't enjoy I enjoyed coach rugby I enjoyed the panel bands for what they were because you know I'm not a drummer so I got to play drums and I got to make a bit mm. of money when I was really young and I hadn't really made money before and I worked for the Libertines and I worked as a tour manager and I, I, I loved working those other things and I love I've all I'm just involved in so many creative things and I just surround myself with things I enjoy so like I'm the worst person to ask that question because yeah. I've never we just we sort of asked 
had to do. We asked this question just in the sense because obviously, like, we're poking fun at the idea that everyone in the arts has had to work a job that they didn't like, or most people have. But quite similarly, I had Pat Byrne on. It's not the episode isn't out yet, but he won like, the Irish Voice and like now lives in Austin, like a really good musician. He said the same thing as you. Like, he's always just managed to find a way to work in music because he loves it so much. And I'm like, that's that's yeah. actually quite a good answer as well. It's fair. Yeah, and this is it. And, and also, like, I've just known enough people around me who have had in, in brackets real jobs and they've been bullied out of their work or their company went bust or they were unduly fired and it's like well how's that any different to how's that security if you if you've got a contract and you can still get ousted from a job then there's no such thing as security like when there's so many zero hours contracts floating around in the way that this the, the world is set up and, and and if any if covid's shown as anything that there is no security in in life or in the world or in economics so, so you may as well just do what you love yeah do what you love and be happy and, and don't let anyone don't let anyone tell you differently because yeah. what do they know? Mm. No, it's so true. And I'm going to, the last question I'm asking, to be fair, right, this entire interview, you've just given great advice throughout, you know, just banger after banger of like really interesting advice and insight. But like to sort of summarise, what would your sort of advice be to anyone that maybe wanted to start a band or to be a solo artist or a musician or an artist or a writer? Because I mean, you do so many artistic things, but just in general, yeah. Do it for the right reasons. Like do it, surround yourself with people you, you like and you trust. Always be respectful and be on time. And do it because you mean it, like do it, do it because you love it. Don't do it because it seems cool or you want to get in this or that or you want to write about these. Do things that are true to you and, and realise that like if you're true to you and where you're from, like you could inspire people around you and, and lift them up with you. Like just just always be creative and then find a way to sell your creativity. Don't don't go into it thinking, I want to sell records, so I'll make this. Go into it saying, I want to make this and I've got to find a way to sell it. Because I know a lot of artists right now who are throwing fucking shit at the wall and hoping it sticks. And they're getting reasonably far, but you can tell that they're just sitting there going, I'll do whatever makes me famous or makes me big. It's like, just do, but the, the best thing and the best times you ever had, to me, were when you were doing what was you and what you loved. And now I have no connection to it because I just don't believe it. Like, I, ultimately, I, I think even when something's massive and it gets shoved down people's throat and it's got millions of pounds behind it, that, you know, it might be big for a year, but it won't be here in 20 years. And you think about some of the best records in the world, like, you go to see a film now and there's still sinks from, like, the 60s and 70s because that music was real to those people at that time. And it's it's lasted. It's lasted throughout time and throughout social changes and environment. All these things have changed and that music stayed those films have stayed, those stories have stayed because they mean something. Do you, do you think we're going to be listening to in half of the Ed Sheeran stuff in 10 years? Nah, no no chance. No way. Other than like we, the same way we'd listen to Backstreet Boys and go, that's a bit of nostalgia. <laughs> but we're not listening to every day to get us through the day. And it's like when you're hearing stuff, the way the music's made now, it's all made for this this whole model of like, get it out, 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 chasing our tails instead of going, I just want to make, make something and then in five years time it's still generating money because people still love it that's how it should be like especially now when you've got these services that keep keep the life up and so yeah just always create for you and then figure out how to sell it to others yeah 100 percent, matt this has been an absolute pleasure mate i've loved this conversation thank you so much for coming on no thanks for having me thank you so much for having me so there you go that was my conversation with matt aka brown bear absolutely loved that conversation thank you again to matt for his time be sure to go and check out brown bear's music they're on tour as well they're playing in edinburgh they're playing glasgow many many other places there's a link to their tour dates in the show notes there's a link to their music in the show notes as well and yeah go and, go and support brown bear brilliant band 
Also, as always, if you'd enjoyed this week's episode of the podcast, remember there's a number of things you can do to keep supporting us. You can share us on social media, tell friends and family to listen. You can leave us positive reviews on places like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you can afford to as well to donate anything, literally anything, you can donate 50p, I think. I don't know what the minimum is, but anything you can spare to donate to our Patreon page as well. All that money we put back into this podcast to make it the best podcast it can be. We're a totally independent podcast. We have no money behind us. It's sometimes hard to get new listeners in because we don't have the market revenue and all that boring buzzword stuff so if you can afford literally anything and you can donate it to our patreon page we'd be incredibly incredibly grateful for that but anyway we'll be back again next tuesday with another episode of just get a real job but until then have a lovely week just get a real job